is up? What is going on? Welcome back to another episode of On Your Way. I'm your host, Chase Coleman. And before we get started this week, I just have to do a little dance, a little jig, because we're celebrating over 10,000 followers on TikTok. Over 10K on TikTok. Okay. All right. Enough of that small win. Now, we are hosting my good friend and someone who I honestly met not too long ago, but I bought her book, from Barista, from Barista to Boardroom by Christine McHugh. And I was fortunate enough to get her to come on the show today, guys. And when I say that Christine is absolutely awesome, we had a great conversation. She is so insightful. And truly, I mean, she proves what the American dream is to start in a retailer and then work your way all the way up through to being in the boardroom as an executive. So she is absolutely awesome. And I can't wait to bring her on. But before we get Christine on, let's jump into this week's business updates. First up, we have asked a job interview. Now, LinkedIn put out an article about when to, to ask when to work from home in a job in, a, in an article this week during a job in a job interview. Now, my advice for this is think about it as your benefits package. Working from home is going to be a part of, as, of a benefits package as we continue to move forward. And as jobs start incorporating this into their everyday package, let's call it. So what I would do is I wouldn't start asking at the very beginning of the interview phase about the work from home situation. I would ask that more at the end. You want the company to want you. You want them to be like, okay, Chase is our guy. And then you want to, them to start thinking about how can we negotiate to get him or her into our company. And I think by opening up that conversation around the same time that you open up the salary conversation, the 401k and other benefits conversation as well, is always go only going to behoove you. And also, before you go in for your interviews, think about it. What is a priority to you? Is working from home a true priority where you have to work from home five days a week? What about doing a hybrid and only going into the office three days a week instead of going in all five days a week? Or is it important to you that you work from home every single day and that you're able to incorporate your, incorporate your work-life balance every single day of the week without having to go into the office? Keep those things in mind as you're getting ready for those job interviews and then go out there and kill it. Next up, we have an article from the New York Times all around Wall Street wanting Gen Z back. What? Now that sounds opposite. Now what's been going on is that apparently Gen Z bankers have been experiencing major burnout while working from home. And many of these banks are taking notice of that. And in a recent survey that came out, it was showing that Gen Zers are in fact burnt out and the mass, the mass majority of them are burnt out and that banks are, are thinking of bringing these employees back into the office to help negate the burnout. They think by working in the office from Monday through Friday, it will allow all of their employees to be able to get out of that same situation of the massive grind that they're going in going through day in and day out and being able to get out and separate the workplace from their from their personal lives. I hope that this proves to be true. I'm not sure how Gen Zers are going to respond to this. I think they might be a little upset about it, thinking that maybe they need to change industries, maybe they need to go into consulting, maybe they need to go work for a big CPG company. But we'll see. So interesting, interesting stuff today. But now that we've got all of our business updates, let's bring on Christine McHugh. And y'all, as I mentioned, I have the lovely and amazing Christine McHugh here with me, who is the author of From Barista to Boardroom. And y'all, I'm not going to lie to you. I am halfway through the book. I plan on finishing it this weekend because 
frankly, I don't have any Fourth of July plans, and I love reading your book, Christine. But man, it's hot out here in Seattle. How are you doing today, Christine? I'm pretty sweaty. <laughs> Other than that, I'm doing fantastic. I'm hot and sweaty, <laughs> but I'm doing great. You know, that's what happens when we get heat waves out here, right? It's like, uh, now, first off, I don't think we've ever got 105 degree weather, at least nothing that I've seen in the history books. And the fact that it's here hitting right now, it's like, like I was, we were talking about earlier, it's like, we're in this together. We just got to kind of sweat it out, suck it up, and then we'll just, we'll just get through it. <laughs> it's like a little mini workout in and of itself. Oh, you it just truly don't have to is. do anything. I shouldn't have even gone running this morning. I should have just sat in my chair and just let the sweat happen. But <laughs> well, it's like it's just like a, as good as a sauna is, right? I mean, saunas <laughs> are supposed to be great for you. True. Next thing you know, you the the mother nature just turned our houses into saunas and was like, just sweat it out a little bit, lose a little bit of water weight, and y'all will be fine. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> anyways, getting into this, Christine, your book from barista to boardroom is inspiring to say the least, and. It's a memoir about your journey from actually starting in the in the Starbucks stores all the way to becoming a vice president and in the SSC, well, what we call the SSC, the Starbucks Support Center here out in Seattle. And I would love to just hear from you a little bit about what inspired you to write the book, and if, without giving away all the fun themes and the and the awesome things that you talk about, what are some things that the listeners could expect to hear or to read in the book as they continue to purchase it? Which guys. The Amazon link is in the in the show notes. Go buy it right now. Pause. Hit the pause button. Go buy it. But after that, then come back. And Christine, what really inspired you to get there and to just be open enough to, to write this book? Well, first of all, thanks for having me today, Chase. I'm like super honored to be here and spend time with you and your listeners. And, you know, it's a really crazy story about how the book came to be because like a lot of things in my life, I never set out to be a marathoner, an entrepreneur. Uh, well, I did set out to be a business executive. That's part of the story. Then um, I certainly didn't ever expect I would become a published author. But it was probably six or seven years ago, I was on a long run with one of my running friends. And he and I were just getting to know each other. And he's at Amazon. And so he's worked in corporate America for a while. And he was heard my story through the course of our runs together that I started at Starbucks as a part-time barista. I was 19. I was going to college, much like many baristas or college students. Mm -hmm. And at the time that he and I met, uh, I was a vice president. I don't know of something at Starbucks. And he stopped me in the middle of the run and he said, you know, Christine, you should really consider writing a book about your story someday. And you should call it from barista to boardroom. And I looked oh, wow. at him. I know. I looked at him and I said, that is the dumbest thing I ever heard. <laughs> and not the title, but just the idea, because I didn't, in that moment, one, I didn't consider, ever considered myself a writer. Um, mm -hmm. I had no experience in it, and I definitely didn't think I had any skills. And two, I wasn't sure what about my story might other people might find useful, right? And so yeah. that's how the idea came. So I just let that sit in the back of my brain. And then every couple of weeks on a run, he'd say, so Christine, have you given any more thought to that book? And I'm like, why do you keep giving me ideas of things that you want me to do, but you're not doing it yourself. That's kind of how yeah. our relationship was. <laughs> and, um, it, but it sat there because I started thinking about my career and my life and the things I've learned and I'm still learning. And after probably six months of just sitting on the idea, maybe even a year, it became clear to me that if 
my purpose for actually writing this, if I were to do this, I had to be really clear on my purpose. At first I wasn't. And so two things came up for me. One was learning how to write. If I mm -hmm. could learn a new skill and develop myself, then it might be a worthy project. Now, some people would say writing a book, <laughs> like learning how to write's one thing, but writing a book's a whole other thing. But I was like, it was a challenge of it. But oh, then yeah. more importantly was if I could help one person by sharing my story and some of the things that I navigated through with my career and my life and the things that um, I learned about myself, if I could help one person by sharing that story, then it was a worthy project. And so that's really how it came to be. I love that. I didn't, I mean, we can get into the book writing process and what that was like, but I, I was like, well, this is worth, you know, giving it a go with no ambitions, no goals other than those two simple goals. And so what ended up coming out of it in terms of what the reader will get from this is a lot of personal storytelling. It's, the, the through line is my 27 years at Starbucks um, and starting as a part-time barista and leaving as an executive, but there's a lot of life stories in there as well. And through these mm -hmm. stories, um, a reader will be able to connect with my um, highlights and lowlights, right? You know, yeah. there's things that were really awesome and amazing that happened both in life and work. And there's things that were really hard and sucked and were painful. And I wasn't sure if I was going to find a way through it. Mm -hmm. Um, there's stories around decisions that I've had to make both to, you know, do some positive things in my life, but also to kind of work through some really tough situations. And so perseverance comes up a lot. Um, and then another thing is through the stories, like what I've learned about myself around really living my values, knowing who I am and having that sense of awareness of who I am and making those decisions based on those values. So there are the feedback I've been getting from people who have been writing to me and sharing notes mm -hmm. and texts and calls is that everybody gets a little something different out of it depends on their own personal experience, but they, it's a shot of inspiration. It's an idea to maybe try something different and take a risk. Mm -hmm. It's, um, uh, be, staying true to themselves and not compromising themselves. So, um, and then there's also like practical, like, you know, career advice and things like that, but it's not a book where I didn't want it to be a lesson one, two, three book, chapter one, do these mm -hmm. things to grow your career. Chapter two, do these things to be an awesome leader. Chapter three to, you know, I wanted it more oh, to yeah. be a story where those things unfolded within it. So I feel like that was a really long answer to your question. No, 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 no. That's and we how love it got started. And those are some of the things that the reader can expect. Um, and one other little quick last thing. Yeah. I worked really, really, really hard to build my uh, skills in storytelling. And so with my editor, I worked really hard at building character development and um, scene setting and all of that. And what I've heard from people is that it's very engaging that it is. they've been finding it hard to put it down because it is a story and that I was coached to write it like a fiction book. Not that it's mm -hmm. fiction because it's all fact, at least it's fact from my experience. So I think that's what else the reader can expect is to, you know, be drawn in and find some things that are relatable. So, well, I like that. And that's, the best way to relate to people is storytelling, right? And I think I, I learned that the most at Starbucks, having worked in marketing for a little bit, was like the best way to relate to a consumer, to a person, to, to anyone that you're talking to is through storytelling, right? Because we find 
like you were saying, the readers are going to find those key things through the stories that relate to them best. And they'll find their own, they'll find a way to relate that into their life and how it will help either inspire them, push them to do different things. Christine, when I was reading just the back of your book and I was reading through the the comments that people were writing, it I started on TikTok just a couple of weeks ago, and it was something that I was very, very nervous about being a corporate employee and doing a little bit more of like corporate satire. But I thought back to myself, I was like, well, what do I want to do in life? I want to make people laugh. I want to make people feel comfortable. And I want to make people feel like they're they're not like we're all in this together, right? We're sweating together right now. And, and I enjoy being able to, re- to relate to others. And after even going through like the first part where you have like the the beginning before it goes into the first chapter, I was like, you know what? I just need to do this. Like at the end of the day, like if I am, you know, and I'm not trying to get morbid, but if I'm not here at the end of the week or tomorrow, I'll at least be able to say like, I was doing things that made me happy. And my question for you coming out of, out of like what you were just saying is you talked a lot about how your buddy from Amazon, you guys were going on those runs and you were kind of sitting on it and you were like, oh, I don't know if I should do this. I don't know if I should do this. Was there like one moment or was there something that kind of happened in your head that kind of flipped where you were like, I'm going to do this. And and you know what? If I only help one person, then I am, you know, successfully selling or, or writing this book and put and, and getting this out there. Like, was there just that one thing that happened or was it kind of like over time after stewing on it? Um, it just kind of came to you that you were like, you know what, I'm going to do this. I don't remember. That's okay. (laughs) I don't, I I mean, what I'm remembering is how I went about the book writing process and there was fits and starts and there was times where it was hard, but I don't remember if there was like one tipping point with it, Mm -hmm. except that I was probably tired of my friend Subu bugging me about it. And so I was trying to like, shut him up. That could be it. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. But, um, I, I'm not sure what happened. I actually, now if I think back, so I went on a sabbatical from Starbucks. I've been on two sabbaticals, um, during my time there. I also had one, personal leave that I, not including maternity leave, but I talk about those in the book and what I gained from those experiences, those, those breaks from work. But on my last sabbatical, right before I left, I decided to use part of that time to get started on the book. Gotcha. Again, I don't know what the tipping point was for that, but, um, and it could have been your friend, right? It probably was. Yeah, I think that, but that's also something that's important too, right? Is surrounding yourself with people who support you, who advocate for you and who, at least in my opinion, who push you to do things that might be a little bit out of your comfort zone, not because they are annoying to you or because they want you to go do something that they want to accomplish, but because they see it within you. Right. And that's what I think, at least what I'm seeing is like your friend was like, Christine, you can do this and people are going to want to read it and you're going to inspire so many people. And that's why I'm excited to hear have you here for all of my listeners to go purchase your book because they better go buy that damn book and <laughs> I, I i'm serious though like it's i think at what i'm kind of pulling through is like your friend kind of helped push you there and then it just took a a couple of extra days weeks months for you to just be like yeah like i'm gonna do this but thinking about that book and thinking about your position that you were able to grow to at starbucks was there I would, I would say, what would be like your biggest learning as a, as a leader? And then secondarily, having worked in the service industry, having been in front of consumers, what was like, first part what was your biggest learning. Second part was like, what, what did you kind of take with you as a barista that you brought all the way up to the boardroom that, that kind of stood out for people? 
Yeah, I mean, definitely my biggest learning, you know, by far and away was it's all about the people, really. It's about the customers. It's about the partners and Starbucks terminology, um, because without no people, you, without any people, you have no business, right? And mm -hmm. so I was asked once if my commitment to service and being of service to people, if that was born in me, if that's how I was raised, or if that was influenced by my time at Starbucks. And I imagine that that service orientation was partly born in me and partly how I was raised, given I was raised with a lot of civil servants and politicians to help drive change in community. But I'm fairly confident that really the um, expansion of that came from my time at Starbucks and being in a culture where it's all about the people. And so I, even in my consulting business today, I work on strategy, I work on operations projects and things like that, but it's all through the lens of people. How does this impact the people? How can we help the people be at their best at work? How can we create a culture where people can thrive while achieving this mission or this strategy or this goal. And so mm -hmm. this means as leaders, it's really around relationship building and empathy building and trying to really genuinely care about the people I work with. So that is something that was a significant takeaway from my time there and is imprinted in the book. And that's why there's a couple of stories in there where things within the company or leaders I worked with, that did not happen. It was out of alignment. And it was really, really hard for me because I didn't understand how a culture where that is such a, an important part of the values and the fabric and the DNA of the company, how could others have lost sight of that? And yeah. so there were stories around that, but I know through myself that that is essential and important and um, the priority way to lead is through people. So that is definitely uh, my biggest learning and I take with me to this to this day. In terms of that barista, and I think your question was, you know, what did I take into the boardroom? Is, or just not, it, not even through, the, like just as you're moving up, right? Yeah. Like I, I, it is definitely really caring for customers and how in the work we design, the products that are created, the systems that are implemented, how easy or hard do we make it for the partner to serve the customer, right? Mm -hmm. So that I would go back on that barista experience. When I was at my most joyful self as a barista, when things felt like I could do my job and serve my customers with you know, passion and um, not being encumbered by complexity, like that is what I brought forward into any role I had in corporate. Um, like and even to this day, I go into a store and I'll look and I'll be like, okay, how easy is it for that barista to actually serve the customer? What are the things that are, could be getting in the way of them doing that? Mm -hmm. And because that's what baristas want and they want to connect with their customers. They want to have a relationship with their customers. And so how easy or hard, um, is that for them? So that is definitely the hands down, the thing that I carried with me and still do, even like though I haven't it. worked uh, there for four years. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's, I, I like that a lot because a couple of things that you said, and, and one of them is, is how easy do we make it for the barista to serve the customer? And I remember, man, back when I started with Starbucks, I had my first like nightmare that I'd had in years because as I was going through the rigorous training, I would say, because we do 
at, well, I don't work at Starbucks anymore, but Starbucks throws the, you know, new hire employees out there and it's like, all right, you're going to sit behind a computer for two days and then you are out on the floor and you are going to have to handle these drinks and it's going to be fast paced and you might mess up a couple of times, but it's okay because our customers, if you treat the customer right, then they're going to be relatively nice to you, right? The majority of the time, I'd say like 90 some percent of the time. And I remember having my first nightmare where I thought there was, or there was a line wrapped around the store. I was the only person working on the bar. There's like probably more than 20 cups in my dream. And I woke up in a dead sweat and I was like, I better learn how to make, how to, how to steam some freaking milk. I was like, I better learn how to do that. And I better learn how to pull some espresso shots and how to make all these drinks. And it wasn't because there was pressure from the company, but it was pressure from, I would say, internally from myself. And then also understanding that our customers had this expectation that you as a barista knew what you were doing and were going to do it with a, a certain sense of grace and also a, a certain sense of, um, I would say, like I, I call it like niceness and happiness, right? And people come to Starbucks for to be happy for that for that first sip of the day. And I think when I moved into the SSC and was fortunate to start working on the business from a, from a corporate standpoint, I heard a lot from a lot of our operators were, how do we break barriers? How do we break barriers? How do we make it easier? How do we make the, the experience a lot more seamless for not only the consumer, but for the barista who essentially is a consumer too, because they're the ones who are at the front line. And I'm really excited for the readers to read into the book because they're going to learn a lot more about that. They'll learn a lot more about the empathetic aspect that comes to uh, that comes on the back end too. And I think as a as a leader, you know, at Starbucks, like you guys did a fantastic job, and the the leadership team still does a fantastic job at breaking those barriers. And my question for you coming out of that is, I heard you say that there are some leaders who kind of forget about the the people aspect of it. And when we start going down that path is when things start going a little bit south uh, business-wise. And I'm not only talking about Starbucks, but I think any business. I've, I've worked at Nordstrom, I've worked at Nestle. And I think once we put the people out of it, you start kind of dwindling down and you lose authenticity. As a leader, how do you kind of bring that back up to to people and say like, hey, like we should remember to be keeping people at the forefront. And it's more, I'm asking this question because I, I know some of my listeners have trouble with confrontation. And when they see something that they know is wrong, or they want to try to help somebody pivot to a different mindset to think about, you know, let's call it people at the forefront. Just hearing from you kind of like, what are some maybe like a couple of tips that you would have, like, as you are going through your experience to help bring it up and say like, hey, guys, let's think about the people first. Or what, what was kind of like your approach to that? That's a really good question. I mean, I think, you know, people, to your point, that people might not want to have a conversation that might appear as confrontational. Um, and there's certainly, you know, people are thinking about their careers and not wanting to, you know, have a, step a on shadow toes or, or something. Yeah, a shadow on it or step on toes or anything. And that said, though, like some of the most um, important lessons for me as a leader were when team members actually gave me feedback or brought up ideas or posed challenging questions to help me look at things in a different way. So while you might be intimidated, a little concerned about what might be the backdraft of that, I pretty much guarantee that most leaders welcome and want that type of dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, they may not always agree with you, but how leaders can grow and evolve themselves is when team members provide them feedback and observations. Um, in terms of like tactical things, 
one of my strategies that I coach people a lot on is, you know, the power of asking a great question, right? Mm, There's yeah. a difference between saying, you're forgetting about the people, people to like, how will this decision impact the people's experience? How can we actually uh, may improve the interaction between the customer and the employee or the partner? So asking questions is a less threatening way to mm -hmm. do that. And then even to, if you have an idea to, to say something like, would you mind, you know, would you be open to hearing one idea or to actually be able to provide a better uh, decision or to you know, land a better decision or a different decision on people? So asking for permission, would you be open to that? You know, asking mm -hmm. people, would you be open to trying something or hearing another perspective? Um, or I propose. So using language like that, those are really tactical things, but questions and using language like that, when in, sometimes inside you just want to say, you guys are doing it all wrong. Cause I know that feeling like, <laughs> like this is screwed up, <laughs> you know? And sometimes you need that too. Sometimes you need to be the fist pounder on the table to like, to get people to listen. And that can be hard when they don't, but I would say, you know, try practice with a buddy, you know, or colleague, um, um, something that you want to bring up the table. If you want to practice your, you know, your confidence in being able to have conversations that might be perceived as confrontational, but assume that most leaders are going to want to hear your perspective. That's why they have you on their team because okay. they believe in you and they know you're a good thinker and you're learning and you're growing and the worst thing that they could happen is that they might disagree with you. And then you could still tell them they're wrong anyway, but <laughs> I don't know. I'll put it out. I mean, I no, just that... think about that from people that I've worked with. I'm sorry. Like I, one, one story I just have to share real quick. I didn't make it into my book, but I had it. I came back to it many times. It was a little story. So, mm -hmm. but it was a, such a memorable moment for me. So when I first, one of my early roles in actually becoming a manager of people, I was a training manager and I managed, I had a team of like, six people. And, um, I was like, you know, super productive. I'm like, you know, hard worker. I'm all about project mm -hmm. management process. It's just my, in my DNA and who I am. And I care about people, but I tended early in my career to lead with all the, you know, process and yeah. project stuff. And I got, would get really into the work. Well, I think I'd been a manager just for a few months. And one of my team members, her name's Julie. She came by my desk. It was like early morning. I'm like preparing for some leadership meeting. I don't know what I was doing, like reviewing some documentation, looking at a presentation. And she walked by and I was kind of had my heads down and she stopped and she just waited outside my cubicle for a little bit. And I looked up and I was like, oh, good morning, Julie. Or I said, hi, Julie, what's going on? And she said, you know, Christine, when people come in in the office in the morning, it would be really appreciated if you actually just stopped what you're doing and said hello to them and asked them what they might need from, you know, support from you in that day. And I was mortified because I hadn't realized that I was so mortified and appreciative. I was so mm -hmm. into my work that I had not looked up to see what my team might need from me. And that was a yeah. pivotal moment for me because that almost flipped on its head. Like, how do I show up in the office? It's connection mm -hmm. with people first work second. And that wouldn't have happened if Julie wouldn't have said that to me. So back to the point of don't hold back your comment or your question, because you never know what impact it could have that changed 
me into the leader I am today. I mean, there's probably parts of awesome. me that are still there, but that was like, I, I told her this story a few years ago, we went out for drinks and I was like, Do you know, of course she never remembered the story, <laughs> but I remember it. It had a huge impact on me in a good way. Mm -hmm. Right. So anyway, there's a little example. <laughs> no, I like that. I like that story though, because like you were saying, like she was fearless, courageous and in, in, in coming up to you and saying, you know, what she felt and, and why she felt that way. Right. Like, we kind of want to check in with you and just kind of see how things are going. And we want you to check in with us. And like you were saying at the beginning, it's all about people at the end of the day. I mean, the work doesn't get done without people and businesses don't go anywhere without people at the end of the day. And to that point, like she's, she mentioned that to you now, meanwhile, she kind of forgot about it over the years, but to your point, it was pivotal to you. And it made you kind of sit back and realize and say, okay, I might need to change something that will help me, not only allow myself to be better, but allow my team to be better. It'll enable them. It'll start breaking those barriers. And I, I think that's commendable. And, and honestly, I think it's really admirable because as someone who played division one college sports, and I was lucky for that, we always got feedback immediately, like in real time. It was, it was yell. It was at your, it was in your face. It was whistles being blown. It was do that again, do that again, do that again. And then I moved into corporate America and it was the complete opposite. And I had to wait a week for feedback or a couple of days for mm -hmm. feedback. And I have this, I had this one manager who I'll never forget because we would leave a meeting and he would be like, do you want to talk about this now? And I'd be like, yeah. And he would, I mean, lay down the law for me. Hey, I don't think you did this well. I don't think you did this well. I don't think you did this well, but you did this, this, and this well. Right. And it was always like a, I, I always kind of looked at him as like a coach because I was still young in my career and he was teaching me the lay of the land. And I will always carry the experience that I've had with Luke was his name for the rest of my career because he helped me grow up and helped me have that, that professional maturity to grow into the professional that I hope I can continue to, you know, be on this path on in the future. But if it wasn't for Julie standing up and saying that, you know, I'm not going to say who knows who's going to know where Christine is going to be because you're awesome. And you <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, it, it made a huge difference. It made a huge impact on me. Right. And if she mm -hmm. wouldn't have said anything, so to your point, you had a great leader who, you know, took the time to give you immediate feedback right there. Leaders don't get that from their people very much. And there's a yeah. variety of reasons why, um, you know, there's definitely a fear factor, which I can understand, but leaders need it. And the mm -hmm. really great leaders will want it and they'll be open to it. And if they're not open to it and they don't want it, you might not want to find yourself another leader. That's yeah. the way I look at it. So I, I'm Nope. I agree. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. All right. Thinking about Starbucks though, cause I love this brand so damn much. I mean, I still get to work on it. I grew up with it. I mean, my sister was a barista when I was growing up and that's how I ended up becoming a barista. But I have to ask you, Christine, like, do you have a favorite memory from, or I'll, it'll be two part. Do you have a favorite memory as a barista? And then do you have a favorite memory uh, also working in Seattle in the SSC? Yeah, I definitely, um, I, as a barista, this isn't going to surprise you based on what we've talked about so far. My favorite memories just have to do with the customers. I actually mm -hmm. talk about the customers in my book and some of those regulars that I still remember 30 years later. Yep. I'm, I just love that. There are I drinks I'll never forget. That, yeah, exactly. And, and I won't give away the stories, but there's like, I can still visualize these customers coming into the store. And I was an opener, which meant I would show up our particular store, I think opened at five or five 30 in the morning and I was an opener. So I was the first part of their day and mm -hmm. I'll never forget those customers. And I don't have a specific 
um, you know, favorite story or a favorite customer, but I do remember many of them. And I often wonder what they're up to. A lot of them now I think about it are older. They probably aren't even alive anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, given that was 30 years ago, but I just, I love that. That was great. And I miss that the most when I transitioned out of the stores, which, um, ended, I ended up, one of my jobs at Starbucks ended up being the vice president of customer service. That wasn't an example of a favorite memory, but I loved that job because I got to connect with the customers again. Mm -hmm. Like it was a highlight for me. If they call complaining about something, I was like, bring it on. I want to hear the complaint. I want to connect with them. <laughs> I go in the stores. I still talk to the customers, even though I don't work there anymore. So as a barista, regular customers for sure. And you can read about some of the memorable ones in my early days. Mm -hmm. But in terms of my corporate um, experience, there's two, two very um, uh, memorable experiences. One is actually in the book and one isn't. And one the one that's in the book is when Starbucks shut down the stores to retrain all the baristas on the art of espresso in, I think it was 2008. No, different. 2008. 2008, I think. Right. Um, that was an incredible project with a lot of stress, but I had a rock star team and we had carte blanche to like do what we thought was right and to do it in a way that we thought was right. And it just, how it all turned out, it still blows my mind because, you know, the behind the scenes, it was like, you know, duct tape and um, I don't know, just kind of pinned together with safety pins in terms of yeah. actually how it all happened. But it was really a memorable uh, moment and a pivotal learning moment and leadership moment for me. Um which I do write about. I can't remember which chapter it's in. And actually, and Howard wrote about it in his book, Onward, Howard Schultz. It's the first chapter in his book mm -hmm. of Onward. So um, I have to read that. I mean, that was a pivotal moment for Starbucks, right? I mean, looking ourselves in the mirror and saying, we're not doing things the way that we're used to doing it. And I remember showing up to what Howard would call his family meetings, right, in the, in the SSC and how authentic and genuine he would be about whether he was happy or not happy with the business. And I, I didn't join the business until after 2008, but he brought that up many, many times. And it always stuck with me because it was like, when I thought about corporate America, I always thought it was about the dollars. I always thought it was about, it was about making a lot of money and making the shareholders a bunch of money and making the shareholders happy. And that definitely has a, a piece of it, but seeing what you guys were able to accomplish and how Starbucks has always taken that extra step it, whether it's shutting the stores down in 2008, whether it's going through uh, diversity and inclusion training uh, after the Philadelphia incident in 2017. It's like those different things are what set the brand apart. And that's why I think the brand is never going to go anywhere. And that's a, a different story. But when you make those pivotal decisions and then you, I, I love business cases. I, I read HBR way too much. And you go back and you look at something like this and then you see the outcome of it. And you're like, you put the people at the forefront you take care of your consumers and the financials end up working itself mm -hmm. out. And I think it's, again, I, I'm going to say admirable way, way too many times, but I do look up to you and I think it is an admirable business decision that was made because we needed to take care of our consumers. Yeah. And you know, one of the most powerful things about the story, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it, is the idea to actually shut down the stores training came from one of my managers who was not really? afraid to speak up with her opinion. Right. So it's all about the people. Right. If you can create mm -hmm. that relationship with your people, they're going to bring you their best thinking and you're going to create a culture where they're willing to try and take risks. 
I, there's no way I would have thought about that idea. She's the one that pitched it to Howard in his office. She was a manager, right? Wow. And I was there as the director. I was a director at the time. There was my VP. And then there was like the head of HR. We were all there. And my team member and I totally supported her in it because I thought it was the right idea. So it's just another case study of like, listen to your people. <laughs> They've got great like ideas. <laughs> and I talk about her in the book. Um, and just like, I hold her in the highest regard. And she trusted me and I trusted her. So that was a that was a powerful story. And then the other one I'll just mention briefly is that I didn't didn't put in the book was I was tapped to lead a special assignment to put on a global leadership conference for all district managers and above was one and then a store managers and above was the other one. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the highlights of my career because we had a clear mission um, and I got to hire my team from scratch. I got to handpick every wow. single person on that team. And there were times when leaders asked me to consider taking people on the team who I didn't feel they were up to the performance level. Maybe they wouldn't collaborate well with others. Um, they didn't bring the problem solving and the creativity. And I would say, no, I'm not taking that person on my team because <laughs> I knew <laughs> that we're going to be in a lot of really high intensity situations. I reported directly in Howard's office and that we had a lot of expectations on us. And I knew that I needed a team that could work well together more than anything else. Um, and that was a highlight um, being able to do that very few times in your career. Do you have an opportunity to handpick a team from scratch um, and do it in a way that, is going to create an awesome culture and deliver the results. So that was another, that was definitely one of my favorite memories. And it didn't make the book because I, I wasn't sure. And I still, maybe I got to explore this at some point, like how to, what would other people get out of that story and how did that contribute to my growth and development? Cause it almost in some mm -hmm. ways felt like even it was one of the most intense high profile projects I'd been on. It was also one of the least stressful that makes okay. sense. And I think it's because I had a great team and I, I couldn't find a way to like share that story more fully, but maybe, maybe that's in my next book or some blog post or something. <laughs> I think it's cool though. I mean, to your point, there's not many times where you get to build a team from scratch, right? And I have buddies who work in the startup world and they build teams from scratch, but they hire and fire so, so often. And, and it just happens so quickly, but you're able to pull together a group of people for a special project and it was like hey this is going to be intense this is going to be tough it's not going to be easy it's going to be stressful and we're going to have to go through this together but the output that it's going to come out with is going to be so worth it and it's going to be something that we're all going to be able to look back on and be proud of and then to the to your other point it's you're reporting up into howard's office like it's it's going to be i mean i i saw that man come downstairs and about some red cups one year and that was a very interesting experience where i was like wow like he is very into it right and of course he it's it's his business but it was just it's it's great to hear that i think that story is very cool and i think it's something that people should know because in in the corporate world you don't get to necessarily build a team when you get promoted to a manager or director you typically have people already there who are going to be under i don't want to say underneath you but who are reporting into you and you got to kind of learn how to navigate that. But I think that that experience is super, super cool. And I love that. But 
I'm going to get on to our last question because I'm going to keep us on to, on time. Chris, oh, did you have something? Well, I was just going to mention one quick thing. So one of the things I decided to do once I got the team in place, which is I actually brought in some HR and org development support right out of the gate because mm. I knew we were going to be in high pressure situations at times where we had to make we had a level of intensity exposure. And so I wanted to do some work building the team and our capabilities to collaborate and problem solve and work through tough situations before they happen. And that was so helpful. Um, And it ended up just making everything else much easier down the road. So that investment up front, in addition to really picking the right team members and then, but then laying that foundation helped our effectiveness and performance. Oh yeah. One of my coaches always told us the, the four P's prior planning prevents poor performance. That's five P's. I I can't count today, but (laughs) prior planning prevents poor performance, but you did that. And and I think that's so awesome because you met with HR, you made sure, like we were talking about earlier, it's about the people and as a leader, breaking those barriers for your people. And by setting up the organization for collaboration and ensuring that people were supported knowing that they're going into a very high intensity situation it's almost like the military right like the navy seals don't see something out in combat that they haven't seen before in their training and you know it's similar but like same thing that you kind of did for for your people and i think that's i think it's sweet like i would have i wish i was a little bit older than i could have maybe snuck my way in there <laughs> you'll have your time you'll have your time it's gonna come and then when oh. you're a leader of a big team and you're going through something you can like how do you lay that groundwork ahead of time so the team can work effectively together, the most effectively together when they're, you know, when they know that things are going to be tough. So. Absolutely. And I'll have my barista from barista to boardroom sit behind me so I could just hand it out to the team and be like, guys, you got to read this before anything. And just p- picture me going, go chase. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So one more question for you, Christine, while I have you, I know I'm, I'm taking up a good amount of your time and I'm so happy to have you here, but I have to ask everybody this because it's just kind of who I am embodies me. But if you and I were to be sitting down at a random Starbucks separate. And then I were to walk up to you and say, Hey, you look like you have some, some life experience and some wisdom. I'm just struggling. And I just need a couple tips for life, whether it's career wise, whether it's personally, whether it's, you know, don't go running without tying both shoes. Um, what would be like, your like one or two tips that you would share with me or any other person that just like is, is looking for a little bit of help. It's hard to narrow it down to one or two, but um, we can go three, Christine. (laughs) Well, one I would say is know yourself and know what brings you energy, what gives you energy and what drains you and make decisions based on that. Right. It's kind of back to that living your values and don't compromise. Just you be you. Right. And know, but you have to know you to be you. So I would definitely that's one tip. And two, I would be open to opportunities. You never know what might happen in a single conversation, in a moment. Um, try things that maybe you're uncomfortable with trying, but you just don't have any idea where they're going to lead you. So be open to that. And with the, without sounding too woo-woo, like what the universe is speaking to you. You know, I w- I've had people ask me, like, what's your plans with the book? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing next week with the book. But I'm also just want to see how things unfold and be open to that and try some new things and then see what happens. But if I know what's important in me and the things that give me, drain me energy, then I can make decisions about that opportunity or about the direction I take my book based on that. So those are my 
one to two tips in life, I would I like say. It. No, I mean, we have to be open for opportunities, right? And I think it's an important thing as millennials, as, as just humans in general, is to always be open to those types of things. Because to your point, you never know where it's going to take you. I moved out to Seattle, had never, I had been to Seattle for a week before I had moved out here, had no idea what I was going to get into. And here I am five years later, and I'm loving it living out here and, you know, minus the hundred some degree heat that we're going through today, it's a great place. And I was so my first year out here, I was so not into it. I was like, I'm not a hiker. I don't snowboard. It's cold. It's rainy. It sucks. I want to be on a beach. And then realizing like, why am I here if I'm just going to complain about it and kind of flipping my mindset and saying, I'm going to learn how to snowboard. I'm going to learn to love the mountains and falling in love with it has taught me so much about life. And then it's also just made me generally happier and and waking up every morning saying like, today's a new day. I get to stand on two feet and I am so blessed and so happy that I get to do this. Let's attack the day with full tenacity. And I think by being open to opportunities and like you were saying, being authentic and knowing yourself, which I think a lot of us, especially going through your twenties, you you're trying to find yourself. You're trying to figure out those things that you enjoy, that you don't enjoy, that motivate you, that make you tick. And while we go through that, it's always good to go back and remember our core values and, and morals and say, what do I want to accomplish in life? And it's not, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a certain position or a certain um, accomplishment by, but by taking your values and your morals into it, it almost allows you to think about your life a little bit more holistically. And then will allow you to kind of like what I like to think of as flourish. And I, I just appreciate those two tips, Christine, because I think I agree, I agree wholeheartedly with them and I think they're spot on. And I think our listeners are really, really going to enjoy hearing that because I mean, I think it's a good reminder that we need to hear. And I think we need to hear it often. Awesome. Well, my third so, one you just made me oh, think of is get outside, be outside. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Like you mentioned that like nature and being outside can do wonders for the soul, the mind and the body. So there you go. I stuck oh, yeah. in a third one. <laughs> I like it. I like it. But Christine, thank you so much for joining me. I am, I mean, I'm head over heels for just even having you on and being able to talk to you today. And I promise, like, I know I've, I've said that I've only gotten halfway through the book, but like, I'm not doing crap for the 4th of July. I'm going to finish it. And I hope that everybody goes and buys it and enjoys the, the story. And like you're saying, it's, it's relatable. It has personal stories. It was written like it was a fictional book, even though it, it's, it is non-fictional because it is your life. It is your memoir. And I'm really excited to hear from the listeners what they had to say about it too. And guys, after y'all buy that book, go write a review on Amazon, help Christine out. We need this to be pushed out. It needs to be on the New York Times top 20 selling list. And that's, that's my goal. I am going to stick with it. Wow, that's much bigger than my goal, but I'm I'm in. I'm in on that with you, Chase. Thank you. <laughs> of course. But Christine, again, thank you so much for joining me. This has been an absolute pleasure. And thanks for sweating it out with me today because it's it's hot as hell, but uh, this has just been such a, a pleasurable experience getting to talk to you. Thanks for having me. It was super fun. And uh, looking forward to 